Right, so yes, so we're going to look at the next um, passage in our series in James. Let me tell you a, a little game. It's a little, bit, it's a little bit mean. A little game I like to play on um, doorstop sales people. You know the people that come around and they, uh, they come to your door and they, they want to tell you about the charity that uh, they've been told to promote, okay? And uh, so they come to your door and they, <laughs> they stand there and they give you, you know, a, a really moving kind of, you know, this, for, for, for the price of one coffee a week, you've heard that one before, right? For the price of one coffee a week, you know, this can make such a big difference. And, and, you, know, and you, you know, and you're like, oh, this sounds good. This guy's got, you know, this guy's doing well. And, and then I like to play this, it's a little bit mean. I like to play this, this game on, on them. I go, oh, this sounds great. Are you donating to this charity? <laughs> it's mean, I'm sorry. I apologize to all the guys that do it. Because it, I love watching them kind of squirm a little bit at that point. And sometimes if there's two of them, they then look at each other and, you know, kind of hoping that the other one does. Um, it, it's awkward because it kind of stops them a bit in their tracks. Because it's very hard for them to keep telling me, oh, you know, for, one, for, for, for the price of one coffee a week, if they're not doing it. I just, you know, it kind of cuts the conversation short. In fact, there was once when um, the two guys were there, and he said, oh, I don't go donate to this charity, but I donate to this other one. And so he told me about the other charity, and I thought that was much more interesting. <laughs> um, he wasn't being paid for that one. But, but do you see what I mean? Like, if someone's not genuine, no, yeah? It's, I, the other, one of the other things I find frustrating is when you watch television, and it's staged. Yeah, don't you find that irritating when there's a reaction and you're like, oh yeah, but that's not real. Yeah? Or have you seen when, um, you know, when big corporations issue uh, an apology? And it's, and it's kind of, it's, it's an apology, yes, but it doesn't really say the word sorry. And it kind of, in that corporate apology, they continue to say why they've done it, they kind of justify why they've done it, and they show very little remorse. And you think... Well, that's not really an apology, is it? And, and so we find that when things aren't genuine, when things aren't authentic, when things aren't right, when things are fake, that frustrates us, don't we? We want the real thing. And I think that we can sometimes have that with faith as well. Yeah? We, we want the real thing. We don't like it when it's not real. We long for, for something that's, that's meaningful and purposeful, don't we? I think uh, Francis Chan puts it really well in um, his book, Crazy Love. Here's a quote from it. Actually, it's not a quote from it. It's a quote from the back of the book. Um, Have you ever wondered if you're missing it? It's crazy if you think about it. The God of the universe, the creator of nitrogen and pine needles, galaxies and E minor, loves us with radical, unconditional, self-sacrificial love. And what is our typical response? We go to church, we sing songs, and we try not to cuss. If that's all there is to it, yeah, if it's just about going to church, singing songs, and not swearing, there's got to be more, right? And I think we're hungry for more as well. You know, that sounds very dry, very average, doesn't it? That's not what we want. We want the real deal. 
Or maybe you're here this morning and you would say that you, are not, that you don't have faith. Maybe you've come here this morning, maybe someone's invited you, maybe you've just, you know, maybe you found us on the internet or whatever. And, and maybe that's a question that's been going around your mind already the whole time you've been watching people sing, you've been um, seeing people pray. And, and that's a question that you've been thinking about, you know, is this real? Is this genuine? And you're watching and you're going, ooh, is this real? Is this faith that these guys have? Is it real? Is it faith? So let's have a look this morning at what the Bible has to say about it. So as we've been saying, we are in uh, the book of James. And um, if you've not been here the last couple of weeks, then, uh, or if you have been, you'll know that um, James was a church leader in Jerusalem. In fact, he was Jesus' own brother. So that's, that's helpful. He knows a lot about what yeah, Jesus thought. Uh, and he's writing to Jewish believers who have been scattered around. Scattered around. And we've already picked up, haven't we, um, from previous weeks, that he doesn't mince his words. He's hard-hitting, blunt, and direct. You know, if, he says, if you think something, he says it. Um, and if you weren't here the last couple of weeks, I really recommend catching up on some of the previous messages that are on our website. So, uh, today we're going to look at four case studies of the faith. Okay? Four case studies of faith. It's on page 1,214, James 2. So let's read about the first case study. Verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food... If one of you says to them, go in peace, come, sorry, keep warm and, f- and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, is not a com- if, not, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So here's our first case study. There's a person who says something, but he does nothing. Oh, you're cold, you're... You know, you're hungry. Oh, well, good luck, mate. I wish you all the best. You know, this is someone who wishes the person all the best, but he doesn't do anything. So a bit like us earlier, James is frustrated by people who aren't genuine. Believers who don't back up their belief with actions. In fact, James, in true James style, doesn't kind of say, well, that's not very good faith. Or he doesn't say, well, it could be better faith. What does he say? He says it's dead faith. Yeah? Dead faith. Actually dead. And, you know, what, what does he just mean, you know, is this something for the elite? Is this something that, you know, well, you know, us, we can do it like this, but, you know, if you want to be a pastor, you have to do it like this? Well, no, because do you see where, the, where he says, can such faith save them? By that he means, you know, it's pretty clear that anyone who has saving faith, this is what it's going to look like. It's not kind, yeah, it's for everybody, all Christians. Anyone who has saving faith, this is what it's going to look like. Let's skip to the next uh, case study, verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. James replies, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good even the demons believe that and shudder. 
He's got a point, hasn't he? Even demons believe that God is one. So there's got to be more than that, hasn't there? It can't just be about that belief. Let's keep reading. So next case study, verse 20. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that said Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. Here James is in his full swing, isn't he? Um, So yeah, this next person, Abraham. So Abraham struggled to have a child with his wife Sarah, and then when when finally Abraham had a child, Isaac, God asked him to sacrifice him. And, wow, that must be a big thing to ask, right? But what does Abraham do? Abraham trusted and obeyed God. And right as Abraham was about to strike his son, God stopped Abraham and provided a ram. So Abraham had faith, trusted in God, and obeyed too. If you want to to read the full account later, it's in Genesis 22. I find this bit amazing. In verse 22, and his faith was made complete by what he did. I love that. You know, the actions making the faith complete. So the actions coming from the faith, so they result from the faith, and they make that same faith complete. I love it. Right, Um, let's read our next case study, verse 25. In the same way, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Again, so the story of Rahab, uh, she used to live in a town called Jericho, and the Israelites, so they're God's people, they were going to invade Jericho. But before they did, they sent two spies, and Rahab, who was a prostitute, she put herself at great risk, and she lodged those two spies in her house. Again, if you want to look it up later, it's in Joshua 2. Um, And yeah, so Rahab, that must have been quite a risk, would you can imagine, because you can imagine that, yeah, trying to hide these people in her house, that would involve danger. It must have resulted from her faith. So we've just read four case studies. First of all, the believer who you know, wished well uh, for, for someone who was um, hungry and cold but did nothing about it. Then we saw the demons who believe that there is you know, one God, but again, do nothing about it. And then we saw the two, Abraham, who was ready to sacrifice his son, and then Rahab, who lodged the two spies. And the point is, is quite simple, really. And in fact, it's, you know, John picked up on it last week. If you have faith in Jesus, it has to transform your life 
That's what James is saying. If you have faith in Jesus, it has to transform your life. Otherwise, your faith is dead. Actions result from, remember what we saw with Abraham, action results from, but also complete our faith. When I grew up in Belgium, uh, lots of uh, people would describe their religiosity like this. They would say, je suis croyant, non pratiquant. Okay? And it literally means, I'm a believer, but I don't practice. Okay? This is exactly what James is saying is dead. You know? Believer, not practicing. Our series is um, called Now to Live the Life. And this is kind of Yeah, this is what James is saying in this passage, isn't it? That if you have faith in Jesus, it has to transform your life. What else can we uh, pick up from these from these examples that we've that we've read this morning? Well, first of all, we can see that it can potentially be quite hard, costly, and even scary, can't it? We we saw for both um, Abraham and Rahab. You know, Abraham was prepared to sacrifice his son. That's pretty costly. Um, you know, Rahab was prepared to lodge these two spies in secret. That's quite hard, isn't it? So, how did they do that? Um, well, it resulted from their faith, didn't it? It was fueled from their faith. It wasn't a kind of begrudging. But something that, you know, they have that, that cheerfulness, that willingness to obey from their faith. If we simply took from this morning um, the, the, the application, um, well, okay, you know, what James is saying is we just need to go away and do something, then that would be incredibly hard. Yeah, that would be incredibly hard, wouldn't it? Our actions need to result from our faith. In, in, in that case, well, it's still going to be hard, costly or scary, but we might have the strength now to do these things. Now, have you ever felt that, where sometimes God you know, just enables you to do something sometimes quite big, sometimes something quite scary, and you think, oh, how on earth did I... God must have just helped me with that, you know? Sometimes you, just, you seem to have that strength that doesn't feel normal, to be able to do something sometimes quite big and quite scary. I think it'd be really interesting, actually, to, um, to interview Abraham and Rahab. Hey, you know, how did you do that? How did you, you know, was it hard? And I'm sure they'd probably say, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't you know, an easy thing for, to do or whatever. But I think they'd probably say something like, do you know what? I don't know, really. I don't know how I did it. I, I just believed, I trusted, and... And I obeyed God. You see, it's got to come from that faith. It can't just be about the doing without it coming from from that faith, from that trusting in God. Also, another thing we can learn from these from these stories is it's hugely rewarding. Um, do you remember a few weeks ago, Lou read to us in uh, James one twenty five, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Do you remember that? We were, we were thinking about how rewarding it was. And I think we can see that in this passage as well. Okay, it's not immediately obvious, 
But Abraham went on to be hugely blessed, didn't he? He was known as the father of all believers. And Rahab, too, she was blessed because Jericho was destroyed and she was spared. She was looked after. So we can see from these two the huge blessing. Okay, hold on. So are we saying that in some way we can earn our salvation, right? Is that what we're saying here? Because, you know, is it by our own efforts that we're saved then? Because, you know, that could be a question to ask at this point. Um, I think one of the, one of the, the, the stories that helps me to, 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 to think about this um, is um, some of you may know the, the author and, and speaker, Krish Kandaya. He uses this illustration. He goes to the park with his son, okay, and his son falls in a puddle. And he's really messy. He's grubby. He's wet. He's just muddy. It's not good. And his son turns around and looks at Krish and just, you know, he's crying his heart out. And Krish is there going, okay, do I hug him? He's, okay. And so Krish says, no, I'm not going to hug you. Go home, get a change of clothes, and then I'll hug you later. No, he doesn't. He goes straight to his son and he gives him a big hug and he gets all messy and all that, but, you know, okay. So he doesn't wait till his son is clean to hug him, okay. But also, he doesn't then hug his son who's messy and then say, oh, it's fine, now you can stay messy for the rest of your life. Just don't worry, just stay dirty and wet. No, of course, as soon as he gets his son home, he pops his son in the bath and, you know, give, and he, he, he gets himself clean, puts a new pair, you know, some new clothes on, doesn't he? So Christianity isn't, um, isn't God waiting till we're clean from that puddle and then hugs us. No, God is hugging us when we're messy. Yeah, God is hugging us when we're messy, but God also doesn't want to stay, us to stay messy. You know, God wants us to get new clothes on, have a shower, and be nice and clean. Yeah. But once we've got that new change of clothes, once we're clean, we may get splodges on our clothes again. And I think that's important as we think of all of these you know, applications in, um, in James. It's been pretty challenging to remember that, isn't it? That we will continue to mess up. Um, we, we continue to need God's grace, don't we? We continue to need God's mercy and God's forgiveness. We want to, make, we want to be more like Jesus, but we're a work in progress. Yeah? So we're going to continue to need God's grace, God's mercy, and God's forgiveness. And I don't think we should beat ourselves up about it. So, coming back to uh, Francis Chan's quote. In fact, we've still got it up there. You know, Francis Chan said that if our faith just results in us going to church, singing songs, not swearing, that's not it, is it? There's got to be more. And we've seen in James that James agrees. There's got to be more. And we want it to be more because we don't want that dead faith, do we? Um, last weekend, Cyril and I were staying in a hotel in Paris. And, you know, it's, it's lovely to, to stay in hotels, isn't it? Because, um, you know, they come and they do your sheets every day. And, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to be in hotels every so often, isn't it? But there is one major flaw with hotels, a really big problem with hotels, yeah? 
Yeah. It is. Why? Well, I don't know. In fact, this one tastes like fresh milk. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's just adding insult to injury, isn't it? Um, yeah, that's just wrong, right? That's just wrong. When you've had fresh milk in your tea or in your coffee, that stuff just isn't going to cut it. It's fake, it's wrong, yeah? And so it is with our faith. You know, we don't want, we shouldn't settle for the fake, dead faith. We shouldn't fetter, settle for the dead, fake faith. We should want the real stuff, okay? So, what does this look like for, for you and me today? Well, you know, we've been saying the way that we live should result from and also complete our faith. This passage doesn't give you know, a specific or particular application, but it gives us those examples that show us what it could be like, doesn't it? We've seen that it can be pot- potentially hard, you know, quite costly and scary. It was in the examples we saw. But we've also seen, um, as we've been going through James, haven't we, some pretty hard, challenging applications. Can you remember them? So in the first week, we thought about you know, living for God in temptations, trials, and glory in circumstances. Do you remember then we thought about active listening? That one was challenging. And then last week, do you remember? Not showing favoritism to rich people, honoring the poor, loving one another. There's a lot there, isn't it? This week, the point is very simple. You know, if you have faith in Jesus... It has to transform your life. So what we're going to do now is I want us to have a think about these things. Okay? And um, I'm going to put a few questions up on the screen. I want us to have a think about, okay, you know, how, you know, how is my life transformed by my faith? And, yeah, some other some tough questions I've been I've been sort of thinking about. Well, first question really is, you know, am I happy for my life to be transformed? It's not comfortable. It's not the easy option. Am I happy? Am I am I really happy? You know, I might start up here and say I'm happy for my life to be transformed, but you know, am I really happy for my life to be transformed? It'd be a lot easier if it wasn't. Another question to sort of think about is, are you holding back? You know, you're holding back. Is there something that's, that's preventing you from, from being transformed? And then a third question, you know, God, what would you like me to do? God, what would you like me to do? Scary question, because if he answers, um, then, yeah, it can, as we've seen, be hard. But God, you know, what would you like me to do? So we're going to have a little bit of time now of just thinking, just thinking through those things. Spend a bit of time in quiet. Um, if, you, if you wouldn't say that you have faith this morning, then I've got a question for you. The question is really, you know, look around. I guess as you have been doing, judge. What, what do you think? Is this genuine? You know, is there something different? I'm not saying because people here are better. <laughs> Trust me, we're not. At the end of the day, you know, we're, Christians are imperfect. We're humans like everyone else. But is there something different? One of my housemates at university was, uh, I guess he would say he's an atheist, and, and he said one day, you know, he said, one of the things I just can't quite understand is why Christians are so kind. 
And for him, when you did something loving, it was always actually to try and get something back. It was, you know, you might get that back later. If you were kind to someone, you might, they might be kind to you later, kind of, it would strengthen the friendship. And then he couldn't quite understand why Christians, it seemingly seemed that they were quite selfless in the way that they were kind. Is that your experience? So maybe something for you to think about. So yeah, so questions up on the screen. Are you happy for your life to be transformed? Are you holding back? God, what would you like me to do? James is just going to play a little bit while we think about that, and then I'll wrap up. Hmm. Challenging, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we want the, the way that we live you know, the way that we live, to result from our faith, don't we? To result from it and complete it. You know, we've been thinking about this morning, it's it's going to be scary and costly and uncomfortable, but also actually quite exciting, I think. You know, obeying God can be hugely rewarding. You know that feeling you get when you, when you give and you're happy to give? You know, I think it's one of the best feelings. You know, trusting in God, having that peace, Giving, living sacrificially, having that life of obedience. Scary, but also the way, we, the way we're best, the way we're at our best, isn't it? When we're living in God's purposes. And I think that's life at its best when we are obeying God. It may look like kind of giving things up for other people, but actually it's when we do those things that, wow, that's when we're living at our best. That's when we're really enjoying and living God's way. Life at its best, no matter the circumstances. Let's pray, shall we?